guys are in for a treat today. Uh, I had the privilege of team teaching with Nathaniel Buss about six months ago. Uh, I heard from so many people how awesome he was, how much of an amazing job he uh, did. Nathaniel is our director of junior high ministries here at Shelter Cove, actually was a high school student in our high school ministry several years ago. He's 25 years old. He's got an amazing wife, Olivia. He does have a golden doodle, which makes him extra awesome. Uh, and as gifted as he is, he's a phenomenal communicator. I love who Nathaniel is as a person. He is godly, he is humble, he is kind, he is a servant. So will you please join me in giving a huge Shelter Co. welcome to our junior high director, Nathaniel Buss. Love you, bro. Thank you. Wow. Could not ask for a, uh, a warmer welcome. Although last night he did say he would vote for me if I ever ran for president, and we didn't hear that today. So something about my message <laughs> must have gone wrong. So, hey, it is so good to be with you this morning. I absolutely love this church, love what God is doing here. And today we are going to be diving into wrapping up Ephesians and talking about the one person who really doesn't like what God is doing here. And of course, that's our enemy. And before we jump into it, would you raise your hand if you do not have a Bible? We want to get one to you. If you do have a Bible, would you turn to Ephesians 6? We're going to be in the second half of Ephesians 6 this morning, seeing what Paul wants to leave us with from this awesome letter. If you don't know where Ephesians is at, it's towards the back of the Bible. So if you start flipping pages from the back of it, you'll get there faster than from the front of it. All right. And but while you guys are turning there, I want to introduce you guys to my absolute favorite superhero of all time. Now, some of you might be thinking, when? Is it, is it Spider-Man? Is it Iron Man? Is it all these other Marvel characters? Is it maybe a DC character? You know, who is my favorite superhero? Well, let me try to uh, jog your memory here. Now, this is a guy I grew up with. This was about between uh, 1995 and 2010. This guy was rocking it in the superhero scene. And he was fighting guys like Dr. Decepto, the Fibbler, Queen Gossip, and, of course, somebody named Too Cool for School. And I'm talking about none other than this guy right here on the screen, Bible Man. Bible Man was just part of my childhood, a very important part of my childhood. I'll show you how amazing he looks in a second. But this guy, Bible Man, man, he was fighting against evil with the armor of God. He had this uh, sword that looked like a lightsaber that was the word of God. And, and it was just really an unbelievable uh, costume this guy had. I mean, look at that. Like, how cool does that guy look, right? He's like Batman if you were a Christian, right? And so this guy was huge. There he is with the armor of God. I mean, he's got all the parts. I mean, so when we open up Paul's writing, uh, I don't want you to think about that, although I just showed it to you. It seems kind of uh, counterintuitive. But I want us to realize that the armor of God, we can approach it like it is some sort of, uh, you know, dress-up type thing for Christians. But, but I think if we do that, we're really missing a very powerful point that Paul is trying to make. See, Paul realizes that throughout all of time, we have been, you know, with God's people and now the church, we have been brought together for a mission. And the enemy hates 
that mission because it's to bring people back to God. And he wants to do everything he can to divide us and to tear us apart and to separate us from one another. So Paul is going to give us some advice on how we can stay unified and on mission with God. So if you're able, would you stand with me? We're going to be reading from Ephesians 6. We're going to be starting in verse 13, and we're going to be reading through 18. Paul says this starting in verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints." Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. God, I pray as we open it that you would speak to us in a way that only you can. God, each and every one of us coming into this room, God, just with a battle of our own. God, with that's people in our home or people around us at work or maybe just within our own minds and our own hearts. God, I pray that you'd help equip us for this battle and that you would help us to stay united as your body in the mission that you have for us. God, we love you. We praise you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can go ahead and be seated. Thank you so much. And so before we dissect what Paul is saying here, I want to remind us of where we've been so far. Because we have been just in this amazing series in Ephesians. We've been looking at all of this amazing, amazing theology that Paul is laying out. And in the very beginning of Ephesians, he talks about how in the very beginning, God, before he even started time itself, God had a plan from the very beginning to bring all things underneath Jesus' authority and to exalt Jesus to his right hand through his death and through his resurrection. And everything we read about in the Bible, everything we see in history is God moving towards Jesus, and now it's us looking back towards Jesus. So from the very beginning, God wanted to unite everyone together. And in chapter 4, Paul begins to change not from how we can be made right and unified with God, but to how we can stay united with each other. Because he knows that if there's one thing that's really, really tough about the Christian life, it's people, right? Dealing with others who either are Christian or not, that is a really, really tough thing. And so Paul wants us to know that Jesus is calling us to be united whether we're Jew or Gentile, slave or free, whether uh, we are from a certain background or whether we've even done certain things, Paul wants each and every one of us to stay united. And it's this armor of God as we get to chapter 6. It's going to help us do that. And I think that Paul wrote this very, very carefully. Because right before we get to the armor of God, he's talking about marriage. He's talking about the home with children and parents. He's talking about the work with servants and masters. And he's talking about these three different areas where I think the enemy really, really wants to bring division. He, the enemy really, really wants to take out our marriages. He really, really wants to take out our families. And he knows if he can divide 
then he can conquer. And so the armor of God, Paul's going to say, hey, this is how you stay with it, and this is how you stay focused. And what he does is he, you know, for people like me who are bad at getting hints, he repeats these uh, few different words or phrases in there, and it helps us key into what some of his main points are. The first main point, and this is in your notes, is Paul wants us to stand up. Stand up. This is verses 10 through 14. He says three different times to stand. And he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand, or stand against, sorry, the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore. Over and over, Paul says, stand up. And what he's trying to clue us into is this reality that I think a lot of us either jump too far into or we just stand back from entirely. Paul sees the world as having this other layer around it that's spiritual. And it's something that in the West, in America, we don't often think about. We don't often think about stuff we can't see. But, but it's a very, very real part of how Paul sees the world. And he's saying there is this fight going on between the enemy and between God, that the enemy has rebelled against God, and we are either on the enemy's side or we're on God's side. And when you become a follower of Jesus, you are drafted into God's army to now fight against this rebellion. And this is what C.S. Lewis actually says in his book, Mere Christianity. He describes it this way. He says, earth, where we live and what we see, is enemy-occupied territory. That is what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed, you might say landed in disguise, and is calling us all to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. When you go to church, you are really listening in to the secret wireless from our friends. That is, re that is why the enemy is so anxious to prevent us from going. He does it by playing on our conceit and laziness and intellectual snobbery. And it's so true, right? The enemy hates that you guys are here today, coming alongside one another to lean closer into what God has for your life. And so we are called now to stand up against what the enemy is trying to do. And let me be clear, though. Jesus has already won all victory. Like, we have all victory in Jesus. There's no way that the enemy can undo the fact that Jesus died and rose again for us to save us and bring us back to God. There's nothing he could do. No matter what choices we make, he can never, ever get after that. So Jesus has won this victory, but let me tell you, the enemy is a very sore loser. And he wants to make sure that he can win every single battle as, the, you know, the war is already won, but he's going to go after every single battle as possible. So there's two ways practically that we can stand up against what the enemy is trying to do to go after us. Number one, it's in your notes, we stand with each other. We stand with each other. The enemy knows that if he can divide, he can conquer. And so when we stand together and when we let uh, our differences not push us away from each other, but actually bring us closer together, then we stand with each other, the enemy gets a bit nervous. When we read Paul say the words you, it's actually better translated as you all. 
or y'all, which is, you know, if you're a country music lover out there, I think God does like country music because y'all should be in the Bible, all right? He's saying you all, this is a command for all of us, for the whole church to stand together with each other against what the enemy wants to do. And I mean, think about it though, like when, when the enemy divided Adam and Eve from God, bad things happen. And then he divided them from each other because Adam starts the blame game. Or when he divided Cain and Abel in the story of Genesis, right? When he divided them, bad things happen. And even think about in the history of the nation of Israel, we read about it in the Bible, they split into two different kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. I mean, the enemy is just trying to divide every single where he goes. And the same is true for today. He wants to get after us, he wants to divide us, and he wants to prevent us from standing together. Another really practical way to stand up against what the enemy's doing is to stand against evil, not people. Also in your notes there, evil, not people. Now this is a game changer, right? Because if you're anything like me, you see people and you think, man, they are probably the problem in my life. If I didn't have this person in my life, it'd be much better. Or if this person wasn't treating me like this, my life would be much better. And our instinct, naturally, as humans, is to just see people as the problem. And Paul is saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against the evil spiritual forces of this present darkness. It's a perspective change that I think is really, really powerful. Because when we're fighting against people and we see sin, we're going to get angry, we're going to get bitter, we'll be frustrated, we'll be all the more tempted to make dumb choices. But when we're fighting against evil and we see sin in others, it breaks our hearts. Because we realize that these people are, maybe they're distracted, maybe they're blinded, maybe they are deceived, maybe they, I mean, I go to, every Tuesday, I go to one of the junior highs in Modesto, and I look at all of these different kids from all these different backgrounds, and I see all of their uh, interesting behavior, I'll put it that way, and I have one of two choices. I can see these kids as the problem, or I can see the fact that they don't know Jesus as the problem. And the evil of this world and the evil things that the enemy wants to do and have in their, in their lives, I see that as the problem. And it brings compassion to my heart. We have to remember who our enemy is. It's not the in-laws, it's not our spouse, it's not our friends or boss, but the enemy is real and we need to focus on that. And I think that there's a story that, of my life recently that illustrates kind of what this bigger picture might look like. If Paul wants us to see more of the picture of earth and see what's really going on, uh, I got a glimpse of it in uh, a couple weeks ago. So it's our very first weekend of Christmas Village, um, which you have not been to yet. You should definitely check out. Tonight is the last night, and you guys should really go. It's a blast. But uh, the last uh, night of that first weekend, Sunday night, I'm wrapping up, I'm helping, you know, lock up the church, and I have the lovely job of making sure that I'm the last one to leave. And so I go out to the parking lot, and and I see one car in the parking lot, and I think, all right, maybe this is a volunteer, or maybe this is somebody checking their phone or something, right? Just haven't left yet. So I go out to my car, I get in, I drive around next to them, they're just right parked out front here. And I drive up next to them, I, I kind of shine my lights at them to kind of give them a hint, like it's really cold, I didn't want to go out of my car. And, and they weren't getting the hint, so I got out and I went up to the window a couple feet away and I tried to get them to lower it, I didn't want to spook them. 
And the guy lowers the window, and I see there's a guy in the driver's seat. There's about a maybe teenage girl in the passenger seat and a little boy peeking his head through in the back. And the interaction I had with this guy was one of the strangest interactions that I've ever had. He was very hostile. He was very aggressive. He was speaking to me very, uh, he wasn't quite yelling, but we were just about there. And, he, and he's just going after me, and he's saying all this stuff, and he's not really letting me get a word in, and I'm trying to tell him what's, you know, hey, I'm locking up, and he's like, oh, you're going to kick me out, and you're going to call the cops, and you're going to do this, and, and he's just really, really weird. And one of the things he told me was, he said, your church is broken, and you are too. And I was just like, what is going on? Like, I've been yelled at by people before. I worked at retail for Target for four years, all right? So I've had, <laughs> I've had no shortage of people yell at me. Some of you might be here. No, just kidding. Uh, but I had no shortage of people yell at me. This was wholly different. And my spirit, the Holy Spirit within me was just like, man, something's not right about this situation. I wanted to pray for him. He didn't let me. So I walked away and said, well, he doesn't really have a choice. I prayed for him anyways. And it's just left thinking, man, the enemy hates what God is doing here at this church. And when we see this bigger picture and we know that we could stand up against the enemy, it's going to help us out. The next word that Paul is going to repeat and in your notes is this phrase, take up. Take up. Now this implies that there is a, an action that we need to do in order to don this armor. This is not something we can just wake up with in the morning and, you know, I woke up like this, right? No, this is something that we have to take up. And this is from verses 13 to 17. Paul writes, therefore, this is what we read earlier, take up the whole armor of God. Later on, he says, take the helmet of salvation, and he says to take up the shield of faith. So three different times in that passage we read earlier, Paul says, take up. Now, this is that description of the armor of God that some of you in your head right now are thinking about that Bible man picture I showed you earlier. But when you were a Gentile reader, which just means if you were not a Jewish person at the time of Paul writing, if you were a Gentile, you'd probably think of the Roman Empire like most guys today do, right? You'd be thinking of the Roman Empire, you'd think of these Roman soldiers that you'd see in your town, that you'd see um, on all the propaganda that Rome was putting out. I mean, these Roman soldiers were just everywhere. It was how Rome tried to keep things in order. But I think something that's really unique about Paul that you'll see in his writing is that Paul has this like masterful way of taking the context of the Romans in one hand, taking all the history and culture of the Jewish people in his other hand, and bringing them together in a very, very powerful way. When we see the armor of God in Ephesians 6, there's so many allusions or references to Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah, when he's talking about what God or his Messiah wears in order to bring his rule through, it, I mean, we see it just all throughout it. Isaiah talks about God wearing a breastplate. He talks about wearing a belt, and it's, it's just such a, such a cool thing. And I, I kind of nerd out with it, and if you're kind of one of those nerds with me, I put the uh, references in your notes. You could do some homework later. Uh, there's no quiz, though. And so when we see this armor of God, Paul is trying to tell us, hey, we are given this, but we have to receive it ourselves. It's something that God is almost inheriting to us. He's giving this to us. And I think that's so cool, and it's really a good point that it's not our strength that we fight these battles in. 
Like if we fight for our marriage or our home or we fight for um, Christ even in our own strength, we are going to come up short every time. In verse 10, Paul says, be strong. And he says, uh, be strong in the strength of the Lord and his might. That's not really what he says. I'm paraphrasing. I totally forgot it. But he says, it's God's might. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Good assist, Brenda. Uh, it's God's strength that we lean into. In the Christian life, you get stronger by realizing how weak you are. Every single time, when I realize that, man, I'm not strong enough to hold this thing together, it's then that God's strength is able to make me strong. And so that's what we see in this armor. So let's break it down, all right? The first one, and you know, it's belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. Now, what is Paul trying to say when he talks about a belt of truth and a breastplate of righteousness? Well, a lot of times we might have heard that, well, this is, you know, the belt of truth, that's probably the uh, capital T truth, the word of God. That's probably what he's referring to. And the righteousness is probably Christ's righteousness that he gives us. And while those things are very true, I'm not actually sure that's what Paul is primarily saying in this passage. Remember, he's talking about unity, and he's talking about bringing people together despite differences and despite mistakes and past hurt. He's saying bring them together. I think... Paul is more closely referring to our character. When we're a follower of Jesus, are we sincere and truthful people? And are we people who are trying to live right with others and with God? That's what Paul is trying to ask here. What we say and what we should do should reflect Jesus in our lives. He, he says that in the book of John. He says, you, the world will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. It's our proof for following Jesus is how we treat others. And I think this is so, so important because one of Satan's biggest weapons against the church is the church. It's us. He knows that we are flawed people and we will be until Christ returns. And so he uses that against us to hurt the witness of the church. In fact, in 2007, Barna Research found that 85% of non-Christians that they surveyed said that one of the reasons they completely reject Christianity is because of hypocrisy. This idea that Christians will say one thing and do another. And I think Paul is tackling this when he says, hey, we need to be sincere in word and righteous in what we do. We need to make sure that we are living to a life worthy of this calling that God has given us. Our lives can be our greatest witness or they can be Satan's greatest weapon. And we get to choose that if we wear this armor. The next piece of armor he's gonna go into is the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace. Now this is another uh, allusion or reference to Isaiah, which I think is so masterful that Paul works this in. In Isaiah, it says that how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, just meaning, man, we have good news to share. And Christmas, I mean, is really all about that. Like Jesus came to earth for us, and we get to share that, and all the more we share it at Christmas time when we focus on, you know, the reason for the season. And this gospel, this good news about Jesus brings peace. I mean, if there were two people that really couldn't get along, it was God and us because of our sin, right? God cannot be around sin whatsoever, yet Jesus came and he made a way 
and he brought peace between us and God and also peace between us and those around us. And that's the good news that we get to share with others. Another piece of armor, I grouped these together, shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. And I think helmets and shields are so important. They're gonna help protect you from things, right? And especially the helmet of salvation, I think is huge, right? Because head injuries are no joke. One time I was serving in Mexico. I was there for a summer, three months as a missionary. And I was in a room, a very small room in the back of the uh, area where we lived with three different guys, right? So there was four of us. We're grown men. So of course, we're going to be messing with each other. We're going to be pranking each other. We're going to be getting up to all sorts of mischief. Well, one of the things we decided to do was create these dart guns using PVC pipe that would perfectly fit a Nerf dart in them and that we could shoot uh, rather accurately and rather powerfully. We were leaving welts on each other. I mean, this is what happens when you leave four dudes in a room uh, by themselves, right? No supervision. And so we're trying to one-up each other on ways to uh, attack one another, pretty much. And one of the ideas I have is, all right, we got bunk beds, another important part of this story. I'm in the top bunk. The guy in the bottom bunk, I don't like him too much. So what I should do, like an action movie star, wake up in the morning, jump off the bunk bed, I don't know if I imagine myself doing some sort of roll or what, uh, on the ground, turn around and shoot this guy with a Nerf dart and just wake him up with pain is pretty much my plan. Um, and so praise God, you know, God's done a lot of work in my life since then, okay? <laughs> but everything is going smoothly. I mean, it's really a simple plan. Everything's going smoothly. I wake up. He's not awake yet. I grab my dart gun, I have put the Nerf dart in it, I'm ready, I get to the edge of the bunk bed, and I jump. And what I didn't account for, especially in the dark, was that in the middle of the room, it's a very small room, there was a ceiling fan going about 100 miles an hour. And this ceiling fan also so happened to be going the opposite direction I would be going. And so what he woke up to was not pain, but the sound of me hitting the ceiling fan, falling onto the ground. My head is bleeding uh, from this injury. And at like 6 or 5.30 in the morning, we're messaging the group chat. Hey, does anybody know if there's a first aid kit uh, anywhere accessible? I mean, and, you know, people leave junior high students with me. So some of you may be rethinking that. But... <laughs> But helmets are so important. Head injuries are so, so dangerous. And, and Paul knows that. And so when he talks about this shield of faith and he talks about this helmet of salvation, this is huge. Back in chapter 2, verse 8, he said that it is by grace you have been saved through faith. He never wants us to lose that salvation and hold on to it. I mean, we can't, not in the sense that we can lose it, but in the sense that he doesn't want us to forget that God has already saved us through our faith. He wants us to cling to that because I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where maybe I've made a mistake or maybe I've hurt somebody, done something wrong, and the last thing I do or want to do is come to church because I think, what will everyone think? I'll think, man, if only they knew what I had done. I mean, all through high school, that was, my, that was this dance that I was playing. During the week, being selfish, living for myself, doing what I wanted, and then coming to church on Sundays thinking, man, if only they knew. And it isolated me from what God wanted. And when we hold on to our faith, 
we hold on to the salvation that God has given us, and we know that nothing could ever take that away. We are confident now to enter into not only the presence of God, but the presence of each other. And I think that faith assures us of that salvation despite what we do or what is done to us. And last but not least, Paul's going to bring it home, sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I mean, this is the most important of the armor of God, I think, anyways, and that's just my opinion. Now, this is the only offensive weapon that Paul talks about. You know, and there's plenty of different things he could have used, right? Like the Roman soldiers had other weapons, but Paul only chooses to talk about this sword of the Spirit. And Paul knows it's really the only weapon that we need. No matter how smart we get or how good we think we are, or it's the word of God is the only weapon we need to fight against the enemy. Jesus himself used it in the wilderness, right? In Luke 4 and Matthew 4, in the wilderness, when he was tempted, Jesus time and time again used the word of God. This is how we strike back. But I think if we focus too much on just using the Bible to strike back at others, we're missing a point that the Bible's making. In Hebrews 4.12, the writer will say that the word of God is living and active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And the thing with a two-edged sword, if you don't know, you're not a like, fantasy nerd like I am, is one edge is going to be facing your enemy, but the other edge is going to be facing you. And I think the point that the writer of Hebrews is making is that this word of God, when we want to use this against evil or against lies or against uh, what we see in our world, we have to make sure that we're pointing it at ourselves first. Like, that is huge. For us not to bash others over the head with the word of God that he has given first for us and then for others. And I think in 2 Corinthians, Paul, uh, when he writes about this, does a, a great job explaining what this might look like practically. He says in uh, 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5, he says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I think that's what it looks like to see the word of God as a two-edged sword, for us to use it against arguments and use it against pretensions against God. Absolutely. Like, I'm not saying that we should stand by as people push lies onto children or schools or any of that kind of thing. But for us to then, in our own lives, take thoughts captive and submit them to the Lordship of Christ, that is how we can use both edges of God's sword. And now, after he talks about the sword of the Spirit, he's going to once again, back in this passage in Ephesians 6, he's going to mention the Spirit once more. And he's going to say this, point three in your notes. Pray up. Pray up. we got to stand up, we got to take up, and now we pray up. And I've made these notes really simple for you guys because I work with junior hires, all right? So I know, I know what to expect. Pray up. And this is what Paul says, verses 18 through 20. He says, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. 
Paul knows that when you're praying for others, it's really hard to not like them. When you are honestly praying for people, for their well-being, for them to be closer to God, it's going to bring unity in your life. The only way I can think of that you wouldn't be praying correctly is if you were praying like this uh, picture here. When you tell someone, you know, hey, you told me I was in your prayers, and you say, yes, the part where I say, deliver me from evil, <laughs> right? If, if you're praying like that, then, yeah, you might be uh, divisive still. But if you are genuinely praying for the well-being of those around you, it is so hard to not like them. Something about praying and going before God on someone's behalf just brings your heart to alignment, bring to a good spot. And he says all three different times to give us, I think, some help here. He says, number one, at all times in your notes. He says we should be praying at all times. I think one of the greatest things that the Bible says that we miss out on is this claim, two parts. Number one, that, that God created all things and he is holy above all that we could ever see or think or do. God is completely beyond all things. And the second claim is that he has made a way for us to be with him at all times through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit. I mean, those two points that there is a God bigger than us and completely removed from us, yet the second point that he made a way to us, I mean, I don't think we take... Uh, really that for what it's worth, that we can always go to God and be with him. He says to pray at all times. Every other relationship we have is limited by something, by time or by the space and the distance we might have, yet God is with us every day, so we should be praying at all times. The next thing he says is with all perseverance. Paul knows that the Christian life is a lot like a marathon. And for those of you who have ever run a marathon before, I haven't, I'm not crazy, but if you are, if you've run a marathon before, you know that the goal of the marathon is not exactly to be first. It's to finish. The goal is just to make it to the end. You win by finishing, not by getting first place or second place or third place. And as Christians especially in our prayer life, we're not always going to see what God is doing. We're not always going to get answers right away for our prayers. But just like a marathon, we keep at it knowing that it's not about how God answers our prayers, but it's that he will, it's that it brings us closer to him, it's that it brings us closer to each other. Just like in a marathon, we win when we don't give up and our prayers should be the same. And then he says, for all saints. And this is not the football team, although you could pray for them too. But for all saints, for brothers and sisters in Christ, we should be praying for them, which means we should pray for our groups, our small groups, if you're in a cove group or a men's or women's group. If we should be praying for this church. We should be praying for the body of Christ and other nations. We should be lifting them up in prayer. And I'll leave you with two questions. Paul wants us to stand up, to take up, and to pray up. So my first question for you is, who will stand with you? Who are you going to let into your life? Who are you going to let get close to you to stand with you against what the enemy wants to do? 
the Roman soldiers, they would get so much more powerful than they already were when they would lock shields. They'd be side by side with one another and create this wall. So who are you allowing to stand with you? And, and the second question, I promise it's worded uh, correctly. English teachers check this. With whom will you stand? With whom will you stand? If this wasn't a college paper, you wanted to speak practically, who are you going to stand with? Who are you going alongside? Who are you lifting up? Who are you remaining united with? I'm going to pray for us here in a second with some of Paul's closing words in Ephesians. But before we do that, I have uh, something for you. I, I, I think that the greatest way for me to get all of this head knowledge I hear in church down into my heart is by doing something in the moment about it. And so for us, I want to invite you guys, if you are able, would you stand right now? Standing up like Paul says for us to do. And then would you do this, maybe a little weird, would you just link arms with the people that are around you? Which I can't demonstrate by myself, but you get the idea. Link arms with those around you. As we take up this armor... As we stay united, I mean, God is doing amazing things in this church, and the enemy hates it. The enemy wants to do everything he can to stop what God is doing through each and every one of you. And when we stand together, we're that much stronger. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for the men and women in this room. I just pray as we stand together, linked arms, God, that you would help us stay united and to accomplish this mission you've set before us, God, to reach and raise authentic followers of you. God, I pray in the battles that we're facing uh, as we leave this place, God, that you would help us to know that you are with us, that other people are with us. Help us to lean into your presence and your strength, God. In Paul's closing words in Ephesians he wrote, peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. God, we love you. We praise you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So good to be with you all this morning. Thank you so much. Christmas Village tonight. I would love to invite you back to our Christmas service on Tuesday. Hope your family can make it. Love you guys. Have a great week.